Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. The Upstate New York Poison Center celebrated 65 years of service in 2022, and today we're going to talk about the trends from last year with Michelle Kaliva. She's the Administrative Director at the Poison Center. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Ms. Kaliva. Thank you. The Upstate New York Poison Center helped nearly 50,000 cases relating to a variety of poisons in 2022. How does that number compare to the numbers before COVID or in the first couple years of the pandemic? It really matches up. I would have to say consistently, we get somewhere between 50 and 60,000 calls annually. So we're on track from last year. Well, let's talk about the trends you've noticed. Sure. So probably the most startling and concerning trend is around cannabis exposure. And we are very concerned about cannabis exposure in young children who inadvertently eat edibles. That's the trend we've been watching very closely. I'll give you an example. In 2021, we had just over 300 cannabis-related cases. In 2022, 700. And I just ran the numbers year to date. We've already had 91 cases in January. And if we do the math, that puts us over 1,000 by the end of the year. So that's really exploded. And these are marijuana edibles, which are now legal in New York, right? So it's any form of cannabis But again, the biggest one has been the edible. So children can inadvertently get exposed to it. It can be a cookie, a brownie, or it can be gummies or whatever formulation it is. And they don't know the difference. So they eat them. And it has a real bad outcome in little ones. So this is happening at these numbers because these cannabis edibles look like candy or look like some innocent thing to ingest? Yes. I mean, if you have a bag of edibles sitting on a counter, a little five-year-old isn't going to know that that's different than the dummies that mom or dad normally give them. So there's definitely product confusion. I mean, and I say less than five, but it can happen across the board. We had a case of an older woman that ate a chocolate chip cookie, not realizing that it had cannabis and a THC in it. So it could be any age, but you see a lot of them are younger kids. And I think it's because Gummy bears are attractive to little people. And so our big push, we've been really, really promoting this and we'll continue to promote it. And we do work with New York State Office of Cannabis Management. Now, Poison Center phone numbers are going to be on packaging, but we've been working with them as well to get the message out that says, if you have edibles in the home, which is okay, put it in a lockbox. Keep it up, out of the way and out of reach. So treat it like you would medication. These lock boxes you can get in pharmacies? You can purchase them. You can buy them online. They're easy enough to get a hold of. And we encourage parents that have any kind of medication, grandparents that have any kind of medication, to put mint in lock boxes, obviously, but let's add the edibles. And I probably should say, is there a big deal in little children? There is. The cannabis will cause varying degrees of CNS depression, so they get very, very drowsy. And it's not just short-term, it's long-term. They can go hours and still be very lethargic, very, very drowsy, Um, maybe even a little bit scared, maybe a little bit agitated, and it can cause seizures. So these kids all go into the hospital, and we encourage parents. I mean, it's okay. You can have edibles in the house, but call us. 
because your little person really needs to be seen, needs medical attention. They cannot be managed at home. So CNS, that central nervous system, that can look pretty scary to a parent. Very scary. They can be very lethargic and not responding and completely different than when you'd expect a three-year-old to look like. Or a five-year-old, you'd expect them to, you know, obviously be playful and normal, and they're not. It really is quite scary in a little person. In terms of trends, let me ask you what's happening with drug overdoses and deaths, because we hear about nationally fentanyl being a drug that is being misused and showing up where people don't expect it to be. Are we seeing that in central New York as well? We are seeing it across the state. We're seeing it nationwide, certainly in Onondaga County as well. What's really tragic here is that there are people dying. They have their heroin. They don't know that the fentanyl is in there, and they end up succumbing to the drug. Fentanyl in combination with heroin is a really deadly combination. It causes respiratory depression, so it slows down breathing. It causes central nervous system pressure, so they become unresponsive. And again, many times a person's intent isn't to use fentanyl. They don't know when they get the drug, when they purchase the drug, fentanyl's there. In some communities and here as well, we really encourage people to use fentanyl strips to see. You can test your product to see if there's fentanyl in it or not. But again, some people don't have access to that or some people just might not even realize to do that or think to do that. And so sadly, we are seeing fentanyl-related deaths. Our numbers are fairly low in terms of straight-up fentanyl exposures because many times, again, the person doesn't know that it has fentanyl in it and the provider that calls us, the healthcare facility, the nurse or the physician, might not realize that the patient had fentanyl. But it's very disconcerting. Is that the drug that is reversed with naloxone? So heroin is reversed, fentanyl is, any opioid is reversed with naloxone. So again, everybody should be trained. You should have access to it. You should reach out to your harm reduction agencies in the community and get trained. There's still training. I heard about a training that's happening this week in Madison County and in Oneida County. And there's definitely trainings that are going on for family members and for the general public. We should have the lock zone ready and available. You never know when you're going to need it. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Michelle Kaliva from the Upstate New York Poison Center. And just a reminder, this is a free service available 24 hours a day at 1-800-222-1222. Now, getting back to the stats from 2022, what were your busiest months and why do you think they were your busiest months? So we tend to always really be busy in January and May and July. And I am really not sure why. People often expect that we're going to be the busiest around the holidays, particularly for intentional overdoses. But those months have historically been busy. If I look back over data for 10 years, it's always January, May, and July. But what my staff is telling me is they're always busy. We are seeing a real uptick in serious overdoses and cases. And one thing that we noticed this year that's really troublesome is that we're seeing intentional overdoses where somebody is either misusing or pretending to harm themselves in a younger age group, that middle school, high school age group. And we're really seeing a bump in that, which is another disconcerting trend from 2022. Is that suspected suicide attempts? It is. Yep. Again, in that school age group. And I think that's another trend that's being seen across the country as well. I know it's 24 hours a day there. So do you get most phone calls during the daylight hours or overnight in the evening? 
So we get a lot of calls throughout the entire day, but we get a lot of our sickest calls, patients that, again, that are intentional overdoses, are hospital-based calls. We get a lot of those in the evening and overnight, although we do get a share during the day. And we get a, a lot of the home calls more frequently. So the parent, mom, the grandparent, the school nurse calling during the day hours. Although, again, we get both, but I would say the overnight and the late evening are our sickest calls, the calls from the healthcare facilities. What were the top five poisonings for all age groups? So it has been consistent, again, if we look at the data for many, many years, it's acetaminophen. It's the acetaminophen example for Tylenol. Tylenol is a brand name. And for ibuprofen, so Motrin or Advil. We think that that's probably related to the fact that most people have it available and accessible. Acetaminophen is very, very dangerous. It causes death to the liver if it's taken in an overdose, and it really makes people very, very sick. And um, we see it pretty consistently. And then bleach is still there as our number two household products. People are cleaning with bleach. We saw an uptick during COVID. That's continued. And then our number three was hand sanitizers. Again, I think a throwback to what we were all doing with COVID. So hand sanitizers are 70% alcohol. Really problematic if the little person gets into 70% alcohol. It's actually not good for any of us, but drinking hand sanitizer can lower the blood sugar level in little kids and can make them sick. So that's a problem. And then we are seeing antidepressants. Very often it's individuals that maybe have taken too much or have overdosed on their own medications. And then um, also some sedatives. So that would be like a benzodiazepine. So people might recognize the name Valium or Ativan. So those were our top five for all age cohorts. So they would be zero to 100. So the medications that you mentioned, the -the over-the-counter pain relievers like acetaminophen and ibuprofen, the antidepressants and the benzodiazepines, are people accidentally or unintentionally just taking more than they're, they're supposed to? Is that usually how that happens? It's both, but it's also intentional. It's self harm with those, or it is taking more than they should, or using the product incorrectly. Bleach, for example, it's taking your bleach and mixing it with your ammonia because you really, really want to get that bathroom floor clean. And that's a terrible combination. It actually produces chlorine gas, which can make someone have difficulty breathing or taking your bleach and mixing it with an acid. And then you have chlorine gas. So it's both. It's inadvertent or unintentional and intentional. How does the top five poisonings change if you're looking just at children under five? So it does change. We don't see as much of the analgesic exposure, the pain medication. Laundry pods still, little kids get into laundry pods and bleach. Those tend to still occur. Hand sanitizer still up there. Number three is the liquid Tylenol. So it's a little child that accidentally, well, they love the taste of bubblegum acetaminophen, right? So they pick it up and drink it. It might be a parent that has given their child a dose of acetaminophen, and then the other parent comes along, doesn't know that, and gives them a second dose. So that's part of the situation there. And then number four, in July, when our numbers go up, it's because of glow sticks. People got to a parade or fireworks. And the little kids break apart the glow stick and suck on it. The good news is it's not a problem. The bad news is it really causes a bad taste in the mouth and kind of a stinging sensation. So it's a little disconcerting to them. So we see a lot of toys and silica gel and glow sticks and all of those kinds of products. But glow sticks during July is, and I always say that, I'll hear there's a parade or fireworks and I'll think, okay, the staff's going to get slammed with calls related to glow sticks. 
And now this is a little bit new. Dietary supplements, melatonin. We're seeing a lot more little children being given melatonin to sleep better at night. And so we are seeing more melatonin cases than we ever have. It's become a real trend to use melatonin to help them. So that might be, again, the little person helping themselves. They come in gummies as well. So they may help themselves to the melatonin gummies. Well, and getting back to the cleaning products, the personal care products, is that because parents aren't putting them where kids can't reach them mostly? So sometimes it's because you forget and it's on the countertop. And sometimes little ones are clever enough to climb up and get them. It really depends. Our biggest concern is when a cleaning product is put in a container that was intended for food. So sometimes pouring it into a cup, it's very confusing to a child. It looks like water or putting it into a soda bottle or some sort of container that would normally be used for food. So sometimes it's that, sometimes it's just, you know, busy, we're all busy and leaving a product on the counter or the kitchen table. Well, before we wrap up, do you want to share some poison prevention tips for parents? Sure. I think it's a really good idea to take medications, but not in front of children because they see you eating and they think they would just want to replicate it. I also think it's a good idea to take your medicine over a sink so that if they drop, they drop into the sink. Taking medications where there's a chance that it could fall on the floor is dangerous because you don't know. You could drop something. It could be significant. And there are meds where it's one pill or deadly. Remember that products that have those safety tops on it are harder for us adults to open than they are for little children. So it slows them down, but it doesn't keep them out. And they have little hands and have the dexterity, some of them do, to open those tops. The number of times a parent will say, we don't understand. It's got a safety childproof top. They're patient. They are so much more patient than we adults are. So we're cleaning products in their original container, as I mentioned. And then keep medicine um, locked up and away. Yeah, I can't stress enough. I think everybody should have a medication lockbox. And be mindful when kids go to other people's houses who may not have these safety precautions in place. Nothing against grandparents. I am one. There, it's a tough house to be in because a grandparent may not have the childproofing. And there's some tough meds in some people's homes, dangerous meds for little ones. And to keep our phone number handy. We're 24-7. We're completely confidential. We don't keep track. We're just there to support you. And we're happy to help and answer any calls that anyone from the public has. And that number again, 1-800-222-1222. Michelle Kaliva, thank you so much for making time for this interview. Thank you very much for having me. My guest has been Michelle Kaliva, the Administrative Director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.